of First Samuel. And Father, we do ask that you would just bless this time in the study of your word. I pray that, uh, Lord, that right now we would be attentive as we come in this evening, perhaps tired and a long day, maybe hungry. But Lord, that there would be attentiveness right now towards your word and a hunger for your word. And so we just ask that uh, you would just uh, teach us right now by your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we started this book, 1 Samuel, of course, has taken place during that time of the judges, that period of history that we've discussed about uh, that was very dark time for the children of Israel. It started the days of the judges after that generation, um, after Joshua, and they were a generation that rose up uh, to rebel against the Lord. They did not remember the Lord nor the works of the Lord. And it was at that time that the days of the judges started, clear up until the time of the first few chapters of First Samuel. And it was a period of about 350 to 400 years. And it was a very dark time, and it was a very difficult time, of course, as you've been with us on Wednesday nights that we saw going through the book of Judges and also as we've discussed going through the book of Ruth. But one of the things that I want to remind you that as we talk about that period of history where they were in rebellion, and of course the theme of the book of Judges was they were doing what was right in their own eyes. And we see much of that mentality today, don't we, with our society, with our nation. There are many today that just do what is right in their own eyes. And we are seeing uh, a nation as a whole that we, we are rebelling against the Lord. There, there's um, wanting to do what is right in their own eyes. And, and more and more we see that, don't we? That times are getting darker and more difficult and more perilous. But yet, even though Israel went through that time, we saw, as a couple weeks ago, going through the book of Ruth, that there was a family that was dedicated to the Lord. There was Naomi and Ruth that had come back from uh, Moab, and, and they were ones that, that loved the Lord, had devotion towards the Lord. They were trusting in the Lord. And then there was Boaz, that godly man, that as we talked about him and saw him being the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and also for Naomi. So we also saw in chapter 1 last week that here's a family that's going up to Shiloh, a man, Elkanah, that is there uh, desiring to give offerings to the Lord in Shiloh. The tabernacle was there in Shiloh. It's been there, the tabernacle, for uh, almost 400 years as the, the tabernacle was there in the middle of the camp in the children of Israel's wilderness wandering. And we saw all that in, in those books that they were in the wilderness. But when they came over the Jordan River and when they came into the promised land, uh, of course, the tabernacle would then be placed there at Shiloh, and it stayed there for almost 400 years. And God said, I'm going to prescribe a place of worship. So for those 400 years, that's where the people were to come to bring offering and their sacrifices to the Lord. And that's where the priests were to be ministering. So here's Elkanah. He's married to this godly woman named Hannah, as we saw last week. And Hannah was barren. She didn't have a child. And of course, she agonized over that and cried out to the Lord. So we saw Hannah's godly vow that she made to the Lord, that, Lord, if you give me a son, then I will dedicate him 
to you. I will lend him to you. And so the Lord heard her prayer, and we saw that she would have a child, and his name, of course, would be Samuel. And Samuel is going to be a main character for much of 1 Samuel as we go through these chapters, because God's going to use Samuel in that transition from the days of the judges, a very dark time, to the days of the kings where there's going to be better times for the nation. We're going to see that Samuel will anoint the first king of Israel, and that will be Saul. But after God rejects Saul, it will be Samuel that comes and anoints also uh, King David. And then David is going to be the greatest king that Israel ever saw. And so here is Samuel being used of the Lord. And I want to encourage you in a couple ways before we get into chapter 2. One is that as we do look around and we see that it is getting more darker spiritually in our own nation, that it seems like the theme today is people doing what is right in their own eyes. Still, as it was back then, God had a remnant of godly people that he was using. He was still working, wasn't he? And you see, you and I, we can stand as a godly family as well, as long as we're committed to the Lord, devoted to the Lord. And it's Ruth and, and Boaz that showed us that, that God was still blessing and working because they were devoted to him. And it was there that we saw last week that Elkanah and Hannah would go up to the tabernacle there at Shiloh and they would offer sacrifice and, and their offerings going there. And they were devoted to the Lord. And we saw that Hannah, a very godly woman, given that vow to the Lord, I'll, I'll give you and dedicate my son. Now, I don't think she was trying to manipulate the Lord. I believe that she was just simply pouring out her heart to the Lord. And that's what she says to Eli, the priest. She said, I poured out my soul before the Lord. It, it was a real desire, and we can cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. And Jesus would tell a parable of the persistent widow that kept going to the judge and being persistent, and then the judge would have mercy and compassion and would grant her what it is that she was petitioning. And I don't believe as Christians that we have the mindset to, to manipulate or to demand and command um, God for the things that we ask of him, but we can give him our hearts, and we can pour out our hearts to him in our desires and cast our cares upon him. And that's what Hannah was doing. And she said, I'll dedicate him to you and lent him to you. And of course, as Samuel was born after he was weaned, he was taken to the tabernacle, and there he would be uh, raised up by Eli there in the tabernacle, and uh, he's going to be used of the Lord. So Hannah does this, and Elkanah agrees with her. He did not you know, uh, tell Hannah that, sorry, your vow, I'm not going to let you keep it. He had the right under the law to do that, but he was in agreement with her. And you see, here's another godly family desiring to please the Lord. And I want you to know this, that perhaps that in the days in which you're living, maybe when it comes to your family, you're experiencing some kind of barrenness or famine or difficulty or challenges that are going on. And, and it can be hard in the days in which we're living in. Because there can be compromise or temptation to, to do it the world's way or whatever. But as long as you're committed to the Lord, pouring your heart out to the Lord, that you're dedicating your children, your family to the Lord, and desiring to minister in a way that pleases Him, know this, that God's going to work on your behalf. And I pray that we would never forget that. 
Because sometimes we think, Lord, I'm in this difficult situation or it seems like I'm barren concerning this or there's famine just as it would be Naomi that experienced it in this part of my life or concerning this part of, of my family. But as long as you are desiring to do what is right, you're going to see that God is going to show himself strong on your behalf. So don't compromise. And you stand godly and firm and committed to the Lord in the days in which you are living in. So Hannah is worshiping the Lord in chapter 2. And let's again look at, at her prayer as Hannah prayed in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. So here she is, again, just giving her praise to the Lord. She has dedicated her child to the Lord. He's going to be used by the Lord as we see that Samuel is going to be raised up in the tabernacle. He's going to be called to the office of prophet and speak to the Lord. And here she's just rejoicing. She says that my horn is exalted in the Lord. And most of you know that when you see that word horn in the Old Testament, it speaks of power and strength. In other words, Lord, you are my strength. You are my power in the situation that I was facing. And that's something that we always need to keep in mind whenever we are facing difficulties or challenges, that the Lord is powerful. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, and he is the one that will give us the power and the strength to continue on in living for him. He will have the power to work in your situation. And as you, mom and dads, have you committed yourselves to saying, you know what, I'm going to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. And, and husbands, as you stand up and say, and, and men, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He's going to give you the power and the strength to be able to do that. It's the Lord that's going to give you the power and the strength to raise your children in a way that pleases Him. And you see, that is what we need and to keep in mind. And especially in the days in which we're living in, how we need the Lord's strength and wisdom and power working in our lives and it comes by a heart that's rejoicing in him a heart that's devoted to him and she's just saying lord you are my strength my my power you're my salvation there is none like you and nor is there any rock like our god in other words that her faith was based on a solid foundation that is the faithfulness and the goodness of the true and the living god and then verse three talk no one more so proudly, very proudly, let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. I think, verse 3, that she's making reference to Penina. Now, you remember Penina was Elkanah's other wife? And apparently the situation was that Elkanah, he loved his wife Hannah, but she was barren. She wasn't bearing any children for him. So he marries a second wife to have children to continue the inheritance. And we've discussed in our previous studies how important that inheritance was and to continue your name through Israel and to keep the inheritance in in the family and to pass that inheritance on. That was vitally important. And so Hannah wasn't providing any children. And so here is Elkanah. He has uh, another uh, wife and we see that um, her name, Penina. And what she did was that she would, as verse 6 of chapter 1 tells us, she would provoke 
Hannah, um, provoke her, to make her very miserable. And here in verse 3 of chapter 2, it indicates that as she was provoking her, that is, as she was mocking Hannah, that she was doing it out of a lot of pride. She was saying, I have children, and look at me, and, and look at the children that I have. And Hannah, you don't have any children. And what's the matter with you? And perhaps just tearing her down in a way that she's saying, you know what, Hannah, God doesn't love you and God's not working for you. He doesn't hear your prayers. And one of the things that, a couple things that we need to keep in mind, number one is when we know that God perhaps is working on our behalf, we don't go to others in pride and and say, why aren't you like me? Why aren't you being blessed like me? Look what God's doing for me and these blessings that I've experienced, how come you haven't? Well, maybe you're not as spiritual as I am. And whenever that mindset or whenever that kind of attitude is expressed, it's nothing but, but pride. And here Hannah is saying, you know, talk no more so very proudly. You are so proud and arrogant and tearing me down and mocking me. And I pray that we would always be ones, especially if God is blessing you in any way, that, that those who are perhaps going through difficulties or, you know, just discouraged that we would build them up. That we would say, you know what, the Lord loves you and the Lord desires to work for you. Keep trusting in him and resting in him. But not to come in our pride and arrogance and, and just, you know, it's discouraging to people when that happens. But the other side is as well, I believe, is that Penina was coming to Hannah out of jealousy and out of envy. Because we saw in chapter 1 that it was Elkanah that loved Hannah, and I believe that he did. And I think Penina knew that. And Jesus said, you can't have two masters because you're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. And I think Penina knew that Hannah was the real love for, for Elkanah, and, and she is coming out of envy and jealousy. And she's, you know, provoking her and tearing her down and making her miserable because of that envy and that jealousy that she has for Hannah. You know, one of the things that we don't ever want to do as a Christian is, is to tear other people down. And maybe because it's out of jealousy or envy, oh, we won't admit it, but it seems like that God is, you know, working on their behalf more than me, or perhaps you feel like God loves them more, whatever it might be. But God will never bless any of us tearing somebody down that we might look good or be elevated or, you know, whatever it might be. Coming in jealousy and in envy. So here as she's praying, she recognizes the pride and arrogance that that Penina had come to her and mocking her. In verse 4, the bows of the mighty man are broken, and those who stumble are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap. He set them among princes. And make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. In this section that we read, it really is amazing that Hannah, her devotion and understanding that we see as we go through this prayer that she gives to the Lord. 
But if you go to Luke chapter 1 and you look at Mary when she gives that praise and that prayer to the Lord after she receives the announcement that she's carrying the the Messiah, the Son of God, and she goes and see Elizabeth, and and they're just rejoicing because Elizabeth, you know, is carrying John the Baptist and, and is going to, you know, give birth to him. And there is Mary praising God as what is called the Magnifico there in Luke chapter 1. But if you do a comparison of Luke chapter 1 of Again, Mary, just a teenager at that time, the depth of spirituality and understanding and wisdom that she has is absolutely amazing. But if you compare it to some of Hannah's prayer here, you see that Mary borrows or, or takes from, not really take from, but her, her prayer and praise is, is somewhat similar in some parts to chapter 2 here of 1 Samuel. And I think that it shows us, again, how you know, devoted and godly that Hannah was, but also that Mary was a student of the Word of God. And she probably was thinking of Hannah's prayer here as Hannah was giving birth to Samuel. And it would be Mary that would give birth to the Son of God. So it's interesting as you go back and make those comparisons. But here we see that she talks about how God can lift up the humble and break down the the proud. And God gives grace to those who humble themselves, is what the Word of God tells us. And God works in our situations, just as he worked on behalf of Hannah. In verse 9, he will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And so uh, we see that, Uh, She just recognizes that God will prevail. No man will prevail against the Lord. And in verse 10, again, just just depth of understanding and, and revelation as she talks about, I believe, the Messiah. Give strength to his king, exalt the horn of his anointed. Perhaps making reference to, to the Messiah that would later come. And in verse 11, then Elkanah went to the house of Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. So last week we were introduced to Eli. Now remember that Eli is the priest at this time. He's ministering there at the tabernacle in Shiloh. But not only is Eli the priest, he is a judge. And in chapter 4, we're going to see that Eli judged Israel for 40 years. And afterwards, it's going to be Samuel who's going to be the last of the judges on the scene before he anoints the first king of Israel in that transition of judges to the kings. And so Eli, not only being the high priest, his sons being the priest, we are introduced to his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, in chapter 1. We're going to see how corrupt they were, that they were um, doing great wickedness as they were ministering. As we read in verse 2, now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. So here we're told and we're going to see what their corruption was all about. And we're going to see the great wickedness that they did. Here they were serving the Lord, but they did not know the Lord. And unfortunately, that can happen in ministries and in churches. That there are those who who are saying that they're serving the Lord, they're ministers of the Lord, but they don't really have a personal relationship with the Lord. And I think we're seeing, unfortunately, more and more of that in the church at large today. Ministers behind the pulpit that don't really believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. They really, 
don't preach the gospel message. They don't believe that the Bible is the word of God. They don't believe in much of anything what the Bible has to say, yet they'll say that they're ministers of the Lord, that they're servants of the Lord. They don't have really a personal relationship with him. And so we see that today in different circles and those who minister. And, and, and one of the things that my desire is that anyone who serves here in this fellowship, whether it's in worship or children's ministry, whether it's ushering, I want most importantly is that they have a relationship with the Lord. That they love the Lord. And this is what they feel like they're called to do. And that's important to me. And I know that, that you know, I was talking to a, a pastor today who called me. He's just starting up a church, and, and, you know, I know him. He's a great guy, and there's this temptation that, hey, somebody's coming to the church, and he can lead worship, and he's very, very talented and very gifted in leading worship. But I don't know about his walk with the Lord. I said, you need to just wait and see and see where his heart is. But one of the things that I'm so very grateful about is those who are up here leading worship they have relationship with the Lord. Those who are teaching Sunday school, that I know that those men and women and those in the nursery, they love the Lord. And that's what we should always remember, that there needs to be a close relationship with the Lord and, and a closeness and devotion to him before we serve him. Because knowing him is more important than serving the Lord. And it can be the most gifted person in the world leading worship or leading the youth, but if they don't have a close relationship with the Lord, something's not right. And here's, you know, Eli's two sons that we're going to see that they were corrupt. They didn't know the Lord. Verse 13, what was their corruption? Well, let's look. And the priest's custom was the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. And then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. In verse 15, also before they burned the fat, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires, he would then answer him, no, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. So there was a couple things that were taking place here. Number one was, when the people brought the offering, according to the book of Leviticus, chapter 7, a section of that offering, that animal sacrifice, was given to the priest. Uh, the shoulders, the, the breast was to be given to the priest. Part of the offering was to be given to the Lord. And then part of it was given to the worshiper. And that's why we saw in chapter 1 that it was Elkanah trying to get Hannah to eat at the feast. They were at the tabernacle. They were going to eat part of the offering that they had given. Well, what was happening here is that while the meat was boiling, the priest would come, Eli's son, and they would take this big fork and they would, you know, grab a big old chunk of meat for themselves and that meat that was to be for the worshiper. So what they were doing was they were ripping the people off. They, they were stealing from the people. That part was supposed to go to them. They were taking it. The second thing that they were doing, the fat was to be given to the Lord. That was supposed to be the best 
And the whole thought is that we give God our very best. When it came to the offering, he got the best of the sacrifice. And you see, you and I as living sacrifices, we should be giving the Lord the very best, shouldn't we? I mean, he deserves the very best because he gave us the very best, his son, as a sacrifice on Calvary's cross. And so the Lord desires the very best of, of, from us. That is everything in our lives that he is to be the priority. So oftentimes the Lord gets the leftovers, doesn't he? He can get the leftovers of our time and our devotion and our you know, commitments of, of our resources, finances, whatever it might be. And what my prayer is for us is that we would say, Lord, I want you to have the priority, the first fruits, the very best in every area of my life as I become a living sacrifice for you. So the Lord was supposed to get the very best, and what they would do is they would boil the meat, boil the fat, and what Eli's sons were doing is they were coming and they were saying, no, 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 we don't want that to be boiled. We'll take it raw. And when the worshiper said, well, you're really not supposed to do that, and the reason that Eli's sons were doing that is because they didn't want that boiled meat. They wanted to go barbecue or something. Or either that or sell the raw meat for a profit. There was something that was going on. And so what the worshiper was saying is, no, this, you know, this isn't, we know enough that this isn't right. And what they did was they said, if you say anything, we're going to beat you up. We're, and they were forcing the people to give them the meat that was raw so they can eat it the way they wanted to or to sell it or whatever it might be. So they threatened the worshipers. So apparently they had a, you know, a little gang there or, or something, some men that would come along and, and you know, do you in and, and be violent towards the worshipers when that happened. You know, one of the things that, that really upsets me more than anything is when I see ministries or churches or pastors or whoever it is that are ripping the people off. And I know it bothers you as well. Somebody sent me a clip last week of a large church in Texas and, and, the, and the pastor up there, you know, it was a little 10-minute clip of, of everybody in the sanctuary had, you know, an offering envelope and he was pressuring them, what you need to do is give your bank account and your routing number. And we want you to do that. And he was pressuring them, just this heavy pressure. He said, we have security cameras. And, um, you know, if you don't do it, he's half joking and kind of half serious. You know, we're going to take a, you know, film of you and put it on YouTube. And, but he'd go on and say, if you don't give the tithe, you're going to be cursed. And, and as I was hearing this and the arrogance and the pride that was behind it and the manipulation and the abuse, I couldn't believe it. That if I was in that sanctuary, I would have got up and I would have left. And unfortunately, we see in ministries today and in churches today that even as here we see in verse 17, for man abhorred the offering of the Lord. In other words, they didn't want to come. They didn't want to come and bring their offering because of what was taking place there in God's house. The, the ripping of the people off and threatening them and abuse and the manipulation and I don't want to ever, ever do that, whether it's with your giving or whether it's with your serving. And that's why you won't see me up here pounding the pulpit saying you must serve and you've got to do this. I want you to be able to serve and to give 
freely and willingly. That's between you and the Lord. And I want the Lord to put it on your heart to give. And I've said this before, but I want you to give here because you believe in the ministry and because God wants you to give and has told you to give and for you to give freely and willingly and and cheerfully. That's the way you are to give. And if you can't give that way, then don't give. Keep it. Until you can give in a way where your heart is right and you're given freely. And that's whether with your finances or with your time, your service to the Lord, whatever it might be. But I never ever want to manipulate you or, you know, try to pressure you. Certainly these guys were going beyond that. What these guys were doing was absolute abuse. And the people weren't willing to offer offerings anymore. They abhorred it. They hated doing it. And I know that I have talked to people, and I'm sure that you perhaps have talked with people before, that they won't go to church because, you know, all they want is your money. And all they want to do is make you, you know, do this, and you've got to serve if you've been there a month, and I don't know what to do, and I didn't want to serve in this area, and, and the pressures and the manipulations that they can feel. God does want us to give. And he desires for us to serve, doesn't he? But we're to do it freely. And we're to do it willingly and out of love for him. So this is what was taking place in verse 18. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child wearing a linen ephod, little vest. And moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. And then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. There's a principle here in the scripture that we see. It's all throughout the scriptures. When you do give the Lord the very best, when he's the priority, when you give your devotion to him and dedicate everything in your life, every area of your life to him, Here was Hannah that gave the Lord the most important thing in her life, and that was her firstborn son. And she said, he's yours, Lord. I'm dedicating him to you. I'm lenting him to you that he may be raised up in the tabernacle. And whenever we come with that kind of heart, one of the things that you are going to find, that as you come and give offering, as you give to the Lord, you're going to find you can't outgive God. He will bless you. When you come with the right heart, and Lord, I love you, and I'm giving you the very best, the first fruits, my devotion, you're going to see that you cannot outgive God. And he will bless you, just as he did with, with Hannah here. And so verse 22, Now Eli was very old and heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So we see here that Eli's sons it was blatant and immorality. So they were, first of all, stealing from God's people. They were, second of all, threatening God's people. 
And now they're committing immorality with the women who had gathered there at the tabernacle to worship. Now, Exodus chapter 38, verse 8, refers to women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle. So that's what most scholars believe is taking place here. They would be ones that would probably fill up the laver with water so the priests could wash, uh, constantly cleaning the brass that was there. There was a group of women that were there assisting at the symbol at the door of the tabernacle meeting. And here is Eli's sons committing immorality with them. And so we see that Eli, he had heard of that. So verse 23, so he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear you make the Lord's people transgress. And if one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, he will intercede for him. Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. And so here is Eli. He's He's concerned, he expresses that concern, but he's very ineffective in his disciple, or in his discipline, that is, of his sons. So God's going to deal with them now. But Eli refused to, to really deal with his sons, and we're going to see that God, as we read on, is going to pronounce this judgment. It's going to come upon Eli's sons. Because Eli did not deal with his sons. He did not bring discipline. Oh, he expressed his disappointment. He said, what you guys are doing is wrong, but he allowed them and enabled them to continue in their sin. And they were priests in the house of the Lord. I know that there are some of you that maybe there's a relationship with a family member. Maybe even with your own kids or grandkids or whoever it might be. Maybe even with the spouse at one time. It has been hindered and broken. Because what they were doing was wrong. And you stood for the Lord. And it hurts. And you said, I'm going to deal with this situation, but I'm not going to enable you to continue in this wickedness and in this sin. And a lot of us have been through situations like that, whether it's with your family or with friends or people that you minister with, whatever it might be, and it can be extremely difficult. But you see, we need to honor the Lord over those that are close to us and linked to us in our lives. And Jesus said that I need to be the priority. That is, you need to count the cost. And I came not to bring peace but a sword, to bring division between mother and daughter and father and son, speaking about how that's going to happen when you are devoted and committed to the Lord. And when there is things going on around you that you know that it's affecting you and other people, you can't just express, you know, words of disappointment, but when you have a responsibility not to allow that enabling of sin to continue, that's what Eli did. And parents, I know that some of you have had to do that with your children, and it's not an easy thing. And it hurts, and it's very difficult. But God has called us to discipline. Men, moms and dads, we are responsible for what goes on underneath our roofs and in our house, just as Eli was responsible for what was to take place underneath the roof of the house of God, but he wasn't dealing with it. Speaking of discipline, 
I pulled this up. I think you'll find this interesting. Here's a 10-point statement from the Houston Police Department that they made. After talking with delinquents over a number of years, they put this together. So number one in this 10-point statement, Father's Guide to Making a Delinquent Child. Begin, number one, at infancy to give the child everything he wants. This way he will grow up to believe that the world owes him a living. Number two, when he picks up bad words, laugh at him. That way he will think that he's cute and amusing. Number three, never give him any spiritual training. Wait till he's 21 and then let him decide for himself. I don't know how many times I've heard that. From parents that say, you know what, I'm just going to let my kids decide for themselves when they get, I'm not going to give them any guidance and I'll let them decide when they get older. Number four, pick up everything he leaves laying about, books, shoes, clothes. Do everything for him so that he will be experienced in throwing all responsibility upon others. Number five, quarrel frequently in his presence in this way he will not be too shocked when the home is broken up later. Number six, give the child all the pocket money he wants. Never let him earn his own. Why should he have things as tough as you had them? Number seven, satisfy his every craving for food, drink, and comfort. Denial may lead to harmful frustration. Number eight, take his side against neighbors, teachers, and policemen. They're all prejudiced against your child anyway. Verse 9, when he gets into trouble, apologize for yourself, saying, I could never do anything with him. I think that maybe that's what Eli, I can't do anything about it. Nothing I can do. Number 10, prepare yourself for a life of grief. You've earned it. One of the things that I have seen for some reason in our society more and more is parents that don't want to discipline and it's not an easy thing, but it's the loving thing to do. And I know situations are different for people and kids and all of this, but I want to encourage you that <clears throat> when you're faced with these challenges, with whether it's your kids or whoever it might be, me as, as a minister, that I know sometimes that, that I have to deal with those who desire to come in and bring harm to the church or whatever it might be. Not often, but once in a great while it has happened. That we need to guard and protect and we can't enable people to continue in their sin and, and their wickedness or their disobedience or whatever it might be. Because that's not the loving thing to do. And I pray for wisdom for all of us as, as parents and as grandparents, as we mentor others, as we minister with others, oversee ministries, whatever it might be. The Lord, give me the wisdom to teach and to love and to correct and rebuke and to guard when I need to, to bring discipline when it needs to happen. But folks, we're not helping people if we enable them to continue in ways that is harmful to them and to others in their disobedience and in their sin but to deal with it. And that's what Eli, he refused to do that. He experienced his disappointment, expressed it, but he didn't do anything about it. So verse 26, the child Samuel grew in stature and favor both with the Lord and men. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt and Pharaoh's house? 
And did I not choose them out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priests to offer upon my altar to burn incense and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? So why do you kick my sacrifice, my offering which I commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel and my people? In other words, God is saying, Eli, I am holding you responsible. I'm holding you accountable for what is going on here. You're the high priest. You're the father of these sons, of these priests that are ministering here. And why are you honoring them, your sons, over me? It's quite an indictment. And dads and parents, those of us who, who lead, we will be held accountable. What has been entrusted to us You've been given the ephod. You've been given the sacrifice. It has been a privilege for you, Eli, the position that I've given to you and the calling that I put on your life. But you have honored your sons who do wickedly over me. It would be Paul that when he was confronting the Galatian believers, in Galatians chapter 1, he would say, I do not seek to please men, for if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And it's true with us. We fear the Lord. He's the priority. And we will be held accountable for what has been entrusted to us, our children or those that we oversee, whatever it might be. To not enable them to continue in their sin, but to bring that correction and discipline as God has prescribed in His Word. So he continues on as he says, Why do you kick at my sacrifice? Verse 30, therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house will be the house of your father, would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house, so there will not be an old man in your house. So in verse 31, when he says, I'll cut off your arm, arm speaks of what? It it speaks of strength and power again, just like a horn does. I'm going to cut off your position, your power, what, what has been given to you and to your family. In verse 32, And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good which God does for Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons on Hopni and Phinehas, and one day they shall die, both of them. We will see that in chapter 4. And then I'll raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of uh, silver and for a morsel of bread and say, please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. So hear this judgment pronounced on Eli's family. I'll cut off your arm. God promised that the priestly line would not stay with Eli, that another family of Aaron's descendants would take on that priestly line. That took place in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 27, in Solomon's day. Abiathar from Eli's family was disposed in, as high priest and replaced by Zadok and his family. And then your two sons are going to die in, in one day, As I mentioned, we will see that next time. And I'm going to raise up myself a faithful priest. Now that was partially fulfilled 
in Samuel, who's going to take that priestly office, who's going to also be in the office of prophet, replacing the ungodly sons of Eli, also partially fulfilled in Zadok, who replaced Eli's family, as I mentioned, 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 27, but fulfilled fully in Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Our great high priest forever, who loves us, who has saved us, who desires for us to walk with him and love him. You know what my prayer is? That, Lord, I want to do according to what's pleasing to you in your heart. And I know that as I do, that I know that I will have a sure house, that it will be a sure foundation. And I want to walk before you, being devoted to you, just as Hannah was, just as Samuel is. But I don't want to compromise or hold anything back. And God forbid that I should ever stumble any of your people. But to love you, walk with you, live in a way that is pleasing to you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time. And Lord, just this chapter that shows us so much in this book that will continue to show us so many wonderful truths and principles that are in this book. And Father, I just want to, first of all, I want to pray for all of us that our parents, grandparents, maybe you're an, an uncle or an aunt, that, that you're close to nieces and nephews, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a boss over others, maybe you lead in ministry of some sort, but Lord, that you would give us wisdom and discernment. And we know that Samuel benefited because he had a godly mother and father. And we see the devotion and praise that Hannah had for you and how they desired to please you by coming and offering a sacrifice as they came to the tabernacle. Lord, help us to be truly living sacrifices for you that we may know what is that good and reasonable and perfect will of God, walking in your ways. Lord, in those times that, that we have to bring discipline, stand firm for you, whatever that might mean in whatever circumstance, that we would honor you. And Lord, to know that you will work on our behalf. And in those times where it brings heartache, where it brings pain. Lord, that you would bring the comfort and reassurance that we need. Lord, we live in a dark, dark time right now, and it's going to get darker. So I pray that as we're here in this room tonight, that we would just once again, as we spend time worshiping, just make that recommitment with you, Lord of honoring you, making you the priority, giving you the very best. And Father, that we know that you love us, you desire to bless, give wisdom, to give us strength, and how we need your strength today, how we need strength as parents, how we need your strength in being men and women of God, and the day in which we were living in. 
So, Father, I pray for your protection upon our homes. You're working in our homes. And, Lord, continue to help us to grow in you, in our commitment of you and love for you. Bless this time as right now we just continue to worship, that we would just continue to worship and just giving ourselves to you right now and giving you our hearts or confessing anything that, Lord, maybe that has been lacking in our lives, whatever it might be, Lord, that we just want to right now give this time to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.